I'm not going to lie to you this morning. I don't like to shop. <laughs> Especially at places that have salespeople on the floor. All that added pressure. And I'm likely to walk out having purchased something I didn't want or even need. I just needed a phone charging cord. How is it that I've walked out with a brand new phone and renewed contract? I just don't like to be sold something that I don't want. So this is why I have never liked evangelism. I remember when I was a new Christian, and on our way home from youth camp, my peers would be so fired up for Jesus that when we stopped at McDonald's, they wanted to go from table to ta table to tell everyone there that Jesus died for their sins. But that's not what they came for. They were being sold something they didn't really want, so to speak. So this has been my flawed view of evangelism. But I think this morning's text gives us another way of seeing our mission as Christians. This morning's gospel text is peculiar. The other gospels mention the Great Commission, of course, but just before Jesus' ascension. And he tells them that all authority has been given to him, and he commissions them to go and make disciples and baptize them. Here in John's gospel, we're given a commission as well, but it's very different. It's peculiar. And like the other gospels, John's commission occurs after the resurrection. His disciples are gathered in fear, having heard Mary's report of his resurrection, when Jesus himself appears before them in the flesh. This is the man they confessed as the Messiah. This is the man they abandoned in the garden just three nights before and who had been crucified on the cross before their very eyes. And it was only after seeing the wounds from his crucifixion that their fear turned to what? To joy, gladness. And then Jesus repeats his words to them. Peace be with you. In this one event, we have the essentials of the gospel. The only begotten Son of God, the sinless one who voluntarily offered himself as a sacrifice on the cross to atone for the iniquity of sinners, having been pierced, died, and buried, now stands before his disciples, resurrected from the dead, and speaks peace to those who had abandoned him and even denied that they knew him. Peace. Peace to the disciples huddled in fear behind locked doors. Peace even to the denying Peter and unbelieving Thomas. Peace to you and to me. But this is not the end. In fact, reading through John's peculiar commission, it is only the beginning. Jesus has something more to say. 
As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now here, Jesus is commissioning his disciples, and it's likely that it's not just the 12 disciples, but many. And the implication of that is that this is a commission for the whole church. And we're given a great task to join God's mission to continue the work Christ began in his life, death, and resurrection. And this is similar to the Great Commission and the other Gospels, but what is peculiar is that next, Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit on his disciples. Now, there is a lot of debate on what is going on here. And there are about as many interpretations as there are commentaries, trust me. But it's important to pay attention to the words Jesus says after he tells his disciples to receive the Holy Spirit. He says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is also a difficult verse to understand, but we must remember that the disciples were being sent just as the Father sent Jesus. So why did the Father send Jesus? Well, earlier in John's Gospel, we read, so that they might have life and have it abundantly. And this is the point of the forgiveness of sins. The abundant life. Now, I believe that the words that Jesus is speaking here have greater meaning than we have time to talk about this morning. But in the context of the Great Commission, it will be helpful to notice that the forgiveness of sins of the world is directly related to the church's obedience to her commission. Let me say that again. The forgiveness of the sins of the world is directly related to the church's obedience to her commission. That is to say that the church is capable of withholding the abundant life that Jesus purchased on the cross for the world. And that should be a very sobering thought. So, Now, are you sitting with me in McDonald's? Are you watching all of our friends embarrass themselves and us as they try to convince unsuspecting Big Mac eaters that Jesus died for their sins? Well, if you are there with me, you'll also see and notice that I am not participating. I'm locked behind closed doors, so to speak. Most of us are not evangelists, at least not in the brazen, confident, and even confrontational sense. I'm thankful for those who are. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there are as many ways to fulfill Christ's commission as there are people in this room. Each of us has a peculiar commission. All of them serve the same purpose, of course. 
which is to offer the forgiveness of sins purchased by Christ to everyone. But each commission is peculiar to each disciple. And God is creative in that way. I want to tell you about my peculiar commission. Like many Americans, I came from a broken home. And the older I get, the more I realize how my peculiar story is about the restoration of that home. In my sojourn through this life, I have found much of what I lost actually in the church. The church has been a place of healing, of compassion, and of love. A place where the imperfect, yet forgiven, can walk and work and weep together, knowing that we are loved and cared for by our Heavenly Father. I'm also painfully aware of the capacity of the church to hurt her own. I'm no stranger to church splits, for example. I didn't say that it was a perfect home, but I remain convinced that the bride of Christ, the church, is beautiful beyond comparison. But not everyone agrees with me, and that bothers me. It bothers me a lot. And this is why Janie and I have become church planters, As many of you know, we moved here um, back in June to the home where we learned how to love the church together. Jackson is the home of about 70,000 people, and I'm going to estimate maybe I know about 1,000 of those, which means Janie knows probably 60,000 of those. And you know that we moved to Birmingham a few years ago to go to seminary and returned last June because it became apparent that the city we loved and called home needs the church. It seemed like we were always hearing of our friends and fellow Christians leaving the church or leaving the faith altogether. And during the pandemic, the entire globe was spiritually vulnerable And for many, the church was not or could not be the home and family I knew that it could be. Now, it's true that Jackson already has many churches. But here's the thing. Each church is peculiar. That is, each church is made up of a peculiar mix of peculiar people. But as each of these churches age, statistically speaking, they reach less people. Why? Well, as Tim Keller once pointed out in a very helpful article that I recommend called Why Plant Churches, older established churches reflect the values and the cultures of the members who have been there the longest. Let me say that again. Older churches reflect the values and the culture of the members who have been there the longest. And Keller points this out, by the way, not as a criticism, but just as a reality. It's just how it is. And despite all efforts to remedy this, it's been proven that older churches reach more people 
by planting new churches. And we're seeing this played out. All Saints is an older established church, reaching new families through church planting. In October, we began meeting with our Sunday Jam group with about eight families on Sunday evenings for worship and fellowship. And since then, we have grown to about 13 families. That's fluctuated a little bit. Sadly losing the Dunlaps, who are moving to Memphis. We're all very sad about that. But that equals to over 50 people. And only five of these families are from our mother church, All Saints. Four families have come from negative or painful church circumstances, and four other families have not been in church for a very long time. But the cool thing is that we are also seeing all saints grow. And this is another point that Keller points out in his article. And this shouldn't surprise us, should it? We call it the law of harvest. We have much to do, but I want you to understand, what I want you to understand is that the good news of Jesus is being lived out, proclaimed, and explained in peculiar ways to a peculiar people who are not in the dozens of other peculiar churches in Jackson. So this is our peculiar way. What is yours? I want to encourage you to embrace the peculiar way God has called you to fulfill his great and peculiar commission. And it may be through starting, joining, or financially supporting a church plant. And if that's the case, come talk to me. I can help you out there. But it may be some other way. There are a million ways, as they say, to skin this cat. We are sent to proclaim, to preach, to bind, to loose, to comfort others in Jesus' name. And you don't have to stand here in a pulpit to proclaim the mighty works of God. There are countless peculiar ways to reflect and proclaim the forgiveness of sins to anyone we encounter. We are miserable when we try to do that like this person or like that church or ministry. So do it in your own peculiar way, because unless it is proclaimed and demonstrated in joy and in gladness, I'm not sure it's what Jesus commissioned us to do at all. And this is why the peculiar commission is followed by the giving of the Holy Spirit. So be released from the burden of having to convert and save everyone around you. That's the Holy Spirit's job. All we have to do is let the joy of the resurrected Jesus overflow. Just like the apostles there in the beginning or in Acts, our Acts reading. Because when that happens, we don't have to sell people something they don't want. We get to share with others what they long for the most. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you have sent your Son and given your Holy Spirit, as we sang earlier and as we have read about. We thank you for calling us to the abundant life. 
And Father, we pray that you would so fill us with joy at the news, the powerful news of the resurrection of Jesus. That no matter where we go, that joy overflows. And that we are ready and prepared to give an answer for the hope that is in each and every one of us. So fill us with hope. Fill us with joy on this second Sunday in Eastertide. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.